and we're live. Hi, Peter Onorati. Hello, I'm glad I, I made it. <laughs> Has this been crazy or what? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, my, I think my computers have COVID. <laughs> well, they, they have a Uranus uh, Mercury up your Wahoosie. They sure do. <laughs> right there. Um, so we're going to talk about like how you've been handling COVID. Have, Peter, have you had a shot yet? Yes, I have my second vaccination this week. The, uh, what day? Saturday, on uh, the very day of my twin's 30th birthday. Oh, I hope you feel well for it. Um, I feel like they're not coming around anyway, those little shitheads. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, so where did you get, where, where are you getting vaccinated? Uh, Magic Mountain of all places, without a free ride. Without a free ride. So you're a Pfizer person? Yeah, I guess so. That's where we got in. So we just went wherever we could get in. I know. It's crazy, right? And so you, you and Jeanette both got in on the same day? Yeah, same car. same. And we had a friend of ours follow us. Uh, and he, he got in the same day, you know. So And then we went and got appointments for my cousin, who, who lives out here now, and uh, Jeanette's writing partner and a few other people who just probably wouldn't have done it uh, unless we did it for them. Wait, how did you get appointments for other people? It was hard enough to get it for myself. Well, you know, we just went to the same site and uh, and uh, early on in the day, Jeanette actually did it and uh, she plugged in um, and uh, just plugged in their names and uh, that was it. She, she got them appointments. That's fantastic. I'm sorry that I'm looking all crazy over here. We'll, we'll do it fine. You look fine. We'll do a little explaining about what's been going on. If you you have very mood lighting, and I look like Edgar Winter and an albino nightmare. <laughs> Edgar Winter was great. <laughs> he is great. He actually is still pretty great. Um, I just don't want. I don't want to put any harsh lights. Here, otherwise, you'll see my plugs. <laughs> you know, you have aged. We're going to talk about how they. What did you call it? They Benjamin Button you in this. No, episode. they euthanized me. Okay, that's a horrible word, euthanize. <laughs> not the way. Not if you spell it Y O U T H E N I Z E. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, by the way, you were so brilliant last week. I, I, I we're going to talk about that too. Amazing. Yeah. But before we get to all the career stuff, I, I really want to talk to you. I. I the people that watch this show every day are called the COVID crazies and mm -hmm. we are indeed COVID crazy. So now I've seen you guys, your family, socially distance outside on your lawn. So what has, what's your, your but you're back to work. So what has it been like for you this last year, you and Jeanette? Well, I mean, we, we've been fine. We've been always, if we had anybody over like on a Friday night, cause you know, we have that huge backyard yeah, you know, I mean, we can be twenty feet away and yelling shit, you know, and have a drink, you know. <laughs> right. Um, so it hasn't, it hasn't been that bad in that way. Uh -huh. um, wor work has kept me feeling secure because when I'm working, I'm testing three times a week. I mean, uh, since November, I must have tested twenty or thirty times. Wow. Because uh, I worked on, uh, I worked on mom. I worked on Station 19. I worked on uh, This Is Us, and I worked on SWAT. I got an, an episode. I think my episode of SWAT is coming out next week. I think. Um, so you know, uh, I mean, you know, I had to drive around and stuff, but I uh, but I got tested all the time. So 
I never felt like, you know, and I always wore a mask. And the only thing I, the only place I went during this whole time was to the lumber yard or Home Depot to pick up stuff to, to fix things on my house, you know. So I haven't been going out, you know. Although we have been getting takeout from our favorite restaurant in North Hollywood, which is called Spumante uh, for certain occasions. And, uh, um, you know, that's it, man. N nothing else, nothing. Uh, do you go to, have you been going to the grocery store, you guys? Yeah, yeah. But Jeanette uh, has gone, to, she goes to uh, Trader Joe's on Sunday morning early when they let you, us old people in. And, uh, and so that's been fine. And it's only the two of us. So we're not, you know, we're not cooking for three boys either anymore. So Right. But you have had your boys over. And I know since the pandemic, I believe you've had a wedding and at least one engagement, is, if I'm getting that right. We haven't had a wedding. Um, oh. Wait, you had a wedding right before? We had... We had a wedding a year ago in October. Okay. So I, that's what you're thinking. I posted the pictures for the year anniversary. And that was my one twin, Francesco. And now his twin brother, Giancarlo, is going to get married here in October as well. Oh. And their big brother, Sonny, is going to, uh, Sebastiano is going to get married in South Africa in 2022. His fiance is from South Africa. She's a, a working actress and, uh, Beautiful. In fact, she's coming back in tomorrow. Sonny went off to South Africa with her to uh -huh. do the planning, and he came back in December, uh, January 11th, and she's coming back tomorrow. Wow. So um, I assume you're assuming that it's going to be, I guess you can do an October wedding in your on your lawn no matter what because you have so much space. Yeah, I, I don't think, you know, I mean, listen, I mean, Fauci and all the rest are talking about a little bit more normalization by the summer you know and and i think we'll be able to have is we, we have like 200 plus people here at these weddings i've had five weddings here and uh so you know um I, even so what if, if people got to wear a mask until they lower it for a drink you know they'll be fine you know actually i thought she amended last night and said christmas he's now saying christmas oh but, is he yeah that's what he said last night because of the then they, he did like a half hour press conference on CNN. Oh. And I guess, I guess because of the, the variant. But now the variant is in Africa. So one is in South Africa. Well, she was able to get back here because she um, she has uh, a green card, I guess, maybe. Uh, I, I don't um, Her and uh, Sonny um, sort of legally tied the knot a little while ago just because... Oh. The last administration's immigration policy really screwed her, and uh, I mean, she'd been in the country for years, and uh, she did all the right things. Sorry about that. I know Jeanette is there, and she's purposely not answering. Yeah, I don't know. You know. <laughs> so, it's been one of hold on. Can I unplug it? Hold on. So, um, for everybody out there, while Peter's doing that, I'm just going to fill you guys in that at 10 to 4 uh, Pacific time. Uh, an alarm started sounding in my house every 20 seconds. And it seemed to be my, um, my security, my door. And so I called my security guy and for 20 minutes he was ignoring me. And then he finally got on with me and we tried to figure it out. And then he decided it was a smoke detector. I took out every smoke detector in my house. It was still beeping, turned off all the circuit breakers. It was still beeping. I finally turned around and it was my carbon monoxide thing which was just three little batteries. In the meantime, I un had unhooked the entire uh, 
uh, security system. So he had to drive over here. Now I'm COVID crazy. I said, Brad, you got to wear a mask. I yeah. like sold the whole house, opened all the windows, turned off the heat. So all of this was going on. And then as soon as I got ready, Peter couldn't get on Zoom. <laughs> so um, we've had, and I'm also like walking underwater because I was vaccinated today. So second shot, the second shot, which I'm sure you've heard tell. Yes. Can, um, can be a little weird. Yeah. Um, so for me so far, uh, I have three hours of sleep and it's, I'm fine, except for that I feel like I've taken a lot of illegal drugs. Which is a free eye, kind of. Okay, the question is, how do you know what that feels like? Well, because I've been there and done that, Peter, many times. Clover <laughs> girl, I've done that many times. <laughs> it's been a while, but I remember those days. Mm -hmm. And Peter has said, well, how long is the show going to be? Because I have to plan my cocktail hour around it. And I remember the last time that I came to your house, uh, it was cigar and cocktail time as soon as yeah. we were which was great lovely all right so back to you so yeah. Peter, so were you anxious about going back to work or did you feel okay about it um the only there was only one i won't say which job it was there was right. only one job that i felt a little anxious about because i didn't think they were as um uh, conscientious as the other two or three were but mm -hmm. not not much not really um i was fine you know um everybody's masked up everybody you know you go till the last minute uh i was on station 19 was the first one i went back to and i mean the guy came in he you know he i took my mask off i put it in a bag he uh gave me hand sanitizer i did a a, a, a take he came back he opened the bag i pulled my mask out he gave me hand sanitizer the other actor did the same thing and they went i mean you know and the director came in with her mask on and you know um so it was you know it was uh very careful yeah i hear you you each have your own mask wrangler uh right yeah well yeah and then on this is us because the uh makeup is so oh. um, important i can't wear a regular mask so i wear they give me this upside down shield uh that i have and everybody else has to sort of double shield because I can't put a mask over all that, you know, that uh, uh, euthanizing makeup. <laughs> so, um, but they were very, and, and, and actually, uh, this is us shut down twice while I was working there because a crew member tested positive. So they did the contact tracing, they shut down, and then they opened up again when it was safe, you know, so anybody's fine. Have you had to do like face-to-face, -face, like close scenes with anyone? I'm trying to think if you and Jack had a close scene. It didn't seem that close. No, just in the car. Mm -hmm. That's the closest we were, uh, which was probably three feet, four feet away. Right. And again, we were both tested three times right. before we stepped on the set. So uh, no, nothing. And I think the closest thing, and this is I, 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 one of the reasons I was a little <clears throat> worried about SWAT is there's a scene between Patrick St. Esprit and I where uh, he's in, in, in physical danger and I'm holding him up and he's coughing and hacking and, oh and that worried me a little bit. I, although he's, you know, he's fine and I'm fine and we both were tested and, but that was the first time I felt uh, at risk, you know, and, uh -huh. 
And I even, I even said to the COVID person, I said, listen, uh, I want this prop that we're using in this scene. I want it wiped down after every take because, you know, he's hacking and coughing on it and on us and everything else, you know? So that was, that was the only time I felt at risk really. But that turned out to be fine. That wasn't recently. No, in fact, the show should air next week. So it was, you know, weeks ago. So, you know. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Um, my son is do is the COVID wrangler, I guess, uh, for NCIS right now while his oh. theater closed. He's, he uh, is a general manager of a movie theater. And movie theaters, as you know, not for a while are we going to do that. Right. So right. yeah, he arranges all the testing for everybody and all of that right. stuff. So yeah, I know it's a big part of your. Yeah protocol now so yeah i don't think i could do sex in the city right now okay we're going to talk about sex <laughs> we're going to talk about your scene with kim your you wrestler you uh i was a wrestler in high school and and uh and for a short time in college because i didn't want to cut weight anymore but yeah i wrestled and that's one of the reasons why i got it <laughs> and you still stay in wrestling shape and you you mentioned today you're, you're on a diet so you you want to eat by six why are you dieting, Peter? You're in incredible shape. I, no, you know what? I, I, I've been doing a little yoga with Jeanette from time to time. And, mm -hmm. and there's other things that I've been doing. And I feel like, I don't care how much of it is muscle and how much of it is fat. I feel like I'm carrying too much weight. And uh, I, I just don't want to feel that way. You know, I want to be able, I want to be a little more agile, you know, because at my age, some old things are starting to kick in. Like I, I broke my ankle in eighth grade. I went to the doctor last year. I go, geez, I'm trying to run on a treadmill. And he goes, well, uh, let me let me take an x-ray, you know? And uh, he said, did you ever break that ankle? And I said, yeah, in eighth grade. He goes, you got arthritis in your ankle. And I went, son of a bitch, <laughs> you know? And I have arthritis and injuries from years ago. Oh. Yeah, I had no idea. A couple of years back, I had a back problem, right? And um, lower back and I couldn't figure out there was no trauma there was no anything and it was really pissing me off so I went to a chiropractor in New Jersey this guy was a chiropractor for the U.S. Olympic soccer team wow. he, uh, an old friend he you know near my hometown in New Jersey so he couldn't adjust me because I'm actually quite limber for my body style and my uh, uh you know and, and, and my muscularity I'm, I'm pretty limber and uh so he couldn't that's surprising because usually people that lift weights are not well, yeah. Is that because you do? Wow. Is that because you do yoga? Wow. No, it's just because I've always stretched and been limber. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I never, never stopped since college. But, um, but he took an x-ray, right? And he said, uh, uh, when did you break your shoulder? And I go, I never broke my shoulder. He goes, yes, you did. I go, no, I broke my thumb punching a guy in the face and I broke my ankle. And it's great. <laughs> I said, <laughs> <laughs> I said, I never broke my shoulder. He goes, come here. <laughs> and he puts the x-ray on and he goes, you broke your shoulder, man. And, and it healed this way, you know? And I went, shit. <laughs> wow. You broke your shoulder and you didn't even know it. And you were no, probably lifting no. weights through the whole thing. Probably and played football. I mean, I mean, that's what, you know, that's the way we were raised. We, our teachers and coaches back in the, in, in the 60s right. were all ex-military men and they treated us like boots they they ran practice like boot camp you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't get water you couldn't if you went to get a drink of water without uh, without being told you'd run laps you wow. know 
you know, and then kids started dying in the seventies and stuff like that. But, but those guys were, I mean, I had a coach, he was my head wrestling coach, but he was also my coach um, of, of the wide receivers and, uh, uh, on the football team. Right. Mm-hmm. And this guy would, so in our high school, on uh, Labor Day, the, the carnival was on high school grounds. Mm-hmm. And then we would break the carnival down. And then we would start double sessions for football like the next day. Wow. Well, sometimes they didn't clean up well enough. And we would find a nail or a piece of glass. Or, and this coach would say, Honorati, go put this where the defensive ends practice. We're the toughest guys on the team. So we practice on nails and rocks and glass and shit like that, right? Oh my God, uh, that's crazy. Yes, it is crazy. And and it's psychotic in a way. But I have to tell you something. I took this guy to lunch two years ago with an, with the other guy who was um who was captain of wrestling team with me. And I told him something. I said, you know, you know, first thing he said was, he said, I'd be in jail. <laughs> I said, you absolutely would. <laughs> I said, but I have to tell you something. And this is the God's honest truth. And I know. There are probably other ways, but I haven't seen them yet. He gave me one of the greatest gifts of my life. He taught me that I could go beyond my perceived limits. Whenever I thought I was done, he forced me to find more. And that's a great thing to take with you in life, no matter what you do, if it's sports or, 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 or if it's accounting, I don't care, that you can do more than you think you can do. And, 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 and it was great. And it was a great thing, man. And um, believe me, without the glass and the nails, it might not have worked. I don't know. But, but, and I'm, but it was a great gift. I, I, I appreciate that. And it makes total sense to me. But did anyone catch a nail where they shouldn't have? Or glass, did that happen? Did what? Did anybody like catch a nail or glass where they shouldn't have? With- well, I don't think so, but even if they did, they wouldn't have said anything, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, okay. I mean, this guy, this guy put a nail and we used to have all the, all the athletes, um, you know, their study halls, they would spend at the gym, in the gym, you know, and we had a, a one of our friends uh, on the team, his parents had a, a deli up the street from the high school. So we used to go up there and get our lunch. We'd get sandwiches. And he'd make us like a half a loaf of Italian bread slammed with coal cuts, you know, for like 75 cents, right? You know, and that was the 70s. So it wasn't much, but it wasn't much then either, you know? Right. So we'd all bring our lunch and we'd sit down there in, in the gym or in the coach's office. And this guy once took a nail and put it in the starting defensive ends sandwich. Oh, and he God. went and he bit it oh, and he went, ow, what the hell is that? And the coach goes, you got to be tough as nails. You got to be tough as nails. <laughs> I said, oh, man. Oh, my God. Yeah, he would be in jail for sure. Yeah, he would. Sure he would. <laughs> okay, so this is New Jersey we're talking, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but, but not one of those guys, not one of them holds this against him. Not one. But, you know what? That was... For better or for worse, that was the coaching techniques at the time. It was all about discipline. And like I said, most gym teachers, which is what he was, right, and even the other coaches were, were all ex-Marines or Army paratroopers. And that's what they got their education in. And that's what they taught. And they, and, and they treated us, uh, you know, when they were coaching us, right, like we were in boot camp. Wow. 
that is just crazy. <laughs> but, but you did end up resilient, persistent, disciplined, yep. tough as nails, but thank goodness you didn't swallow one. No. But you did, you probably broke your shoulder back then. And there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and just played through it. Oh my God. Yeah. So this character that you play on This Is Us sounds not that unlike your coach, except well, he was also kind of a drunk. He wasn't unlike anybody back in those days, any father. One of the episodes I did two years ago, I take the boys out fishing and there's a bait shop. And unfortunately it has beer in, inside. And mm -hmm. I go in and I end up leaving them in a the car. Well, the two, there was a team of directors that was directing it and they went, Oh my God, what a shithead you are. I said, hey, let me tell you something. I said, my father used to take me on estimates for his construction company. He left me in the car and he said, don't move, I'll be back. And if it was an hour, it was an hour. I mean, I get out, I get out of the car, I could stand, but that's what fathers did back then, you know? They, wow. you know, and 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 you know, my my father was was really a great man on but on all fronts that I can that I can see, you know, and and but that's what they did back then. Now this guy has a drinking problem, but if you saw the one episode where the Vietnam episode, which was so beautiful and poignant, uh, the one uh, where where Nikki gets drafted, you see when I'm waiting for him to be born that I didn't drink at first. Yeah. And my father, who's a drunk, comes in and offers me a drink in a hospital. I say, come on, you know, I don't drink, you know. So, yes, he had a drinking problem. And, and But the things that he does are not far off from even a good father, someone who's considered a good father back then. You know, now we look well, at uh, Peter, I'm going to beg to differ with you here, because last week you hand your son the keys to the car because you're too drunk to drive. And then he's never driven. I don't know that that's father of the year material right there. <laughs> Listen, back in 1959. OK, I can't tell you how many 13 year olds were driving around the streets of New Jersey. Okay? <laughs> and I'll tell you something else. My uncle, who was my father's partner, used to drive the dump trucks at 10 and 11 all around the job site. You know, he wouldn't, didn't go off on the road. Right. But he learned to drive at 10 years old. He learned to drive a dump truck. So what was to preclude him from thinking that his son, even though it was illegal, could do the same thing at 13, you know? <laughs> and driving on the street is different. And, and I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying, we look at it through, through today's filters and it looks abhorrent and ridiculous but back then it was not it was not right oh that's so crazy um by the way for everybody out there there's some weird electricity going on on the picture and i don't know what it is i know there's a uranus saturn square tonight and mercury is retrograde and i'm just saying it's it's not us and uh it's some weird shits going on over there so we're just sparking like crazy on the on the screen here that's right um, so, all right, you come from good Italian stock and that definitely Italian upbringing is a little tougher than let's say the little Jewish kids were, yeah. were brought up. a little bit different. Yeah. Listen, I learned something when I was in, when I was in elementary school, I got kicked out of Catholic school and then I went to public school. And then when why did you get kicked out of Catholic school? I'll tell you that in a minute. Okay. That's why, because because this goes to what you're saying. Okay. So um, I was in 
I was in Catholic school, got kicked out, went down the, down the block, one, one block down the hill to public school. And then after two years there, we went down even further in town, which was called the Flats, which is where all the Jewish kids and all the really waspy kids were. Okay. So I, I learned something. And it was a rule that I used to have in the back of my mind. All the Italian kids I knew wanted to be black. And all the Jewish kids I knew wanted to be Italian, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that was like, they all, we all emulated other parts of, you know, of, of our little social bubble, you know? <laughs> so, so I get, so I'm in, I'm in fifth grade at Catholic school after having getting slapped up the stairs twice in third grade. Um, I'm in fifth grade and there's a new nun coming in from Jersey City, Sister Margaret Dolores. And she sort of treated us in Boonton, New Jersey, like we were from Hoboken or wherever the hell she came from, Jersey City, right? What's the difference between coming from Hoboken and coming from? Well, uh, Boonton is a blue collar town. It's it's kind of hickish compared to Hoboken, Jersey City. Okay. You know, there was no gangs. There was no you know there were wannabe gangs but there was nothing like that you know so she had a mindset about how to so um we had already had a run in two years before um where she said i was running in church and she got the big principal 225 pounds sister helen in to come down and slap the shit out of me in third grade um so now i had her in fifth grade and <laughs> this is so weird because so we're, we're, she's Irish, of course, Sister Margaret Dolores. And uh, so it's St. Patrick's Day and we're singing all these Irish songs. And so I raise my hand, I go, uh, Sister, um, now that we sang all these Irish songs, since St. Patrick was Italian, how about we sing some Italian songs, <laughs> right? <laughs> she sends me up to, to the principal who slapped me up and down the stairs two years before. She says, I stood up on my chair I raised my hands as I said, come on, let's sing some Italian song. And my mother did the smartest thing she ever did in all my years of school. She called all the goody, goody girls, Judy Catchababe, Dorothy Fagan, uh, um, whoever. And she said, what happened today? And they said, Peter raised his hand. Yeah. Sister called on him and he said, blah, blah, blah. And I, and, and I since have, have found that I was right, that St. That Patrick was the son of a Roman prefect. He was Roman. Is that true? I, yes. And I don't know who told me that back then, but he was the son of a Roman prefect because that part of Ireland was ruled by the Roman Empire at the time, you know? So, <laughs> so I get kicked out and, and I go down the hill one block. Yeah. Dual Street School where I get the shit kicked out of me because I'm a Catholic school kid for there was at that time in, in Bolton, yeah. Um, there was this influx of Southerners uh, to because we were an industrial town. We had like three factories and I don't think things were going that well in the South. So we had a lot, a lot of people from South Carolina and stuff. And my parents and I didn't know it was an, a, a slur, but my parents would say, oh, yeah, those rebels, you know, those rebels, this, those rebels, that. Right. Uh -huh. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm calling these kids rebels and, you know, and they're beating the shit out of me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So there was this kid, and I'll use his name because I don't know if he's even alive now. Aww. His name was Craig Herring. And every day 
after school on the side of Patsy's Italian delicatessen, Craig Herring used to beat the shit out of me, right? So one day, right, I'm walking around. I walk around the side. You know, you might say, why don't you take another street? But that was the way I walked home, you know? <laughs> so one day I, I'm walking and here comes Craig with his leather jacket. And this is sixth grade. He's got a leather jacket and, you know, beetle boots and, and, and silky socks. <laughs> and he starts to beat me up and I slide down the wall. And now I'm looking down and I'm not going to look up because I don't want to get hit in the face. And he stops hitting me. And I turn and I look, sixth grade, mind you, there's a pair of high heels, black stockings with a hole and a run that goes up to this other leather jacket. And it's this girl, woman, Liz Chazar. And Liz Chazar has- all these names, I love this. Right? And Liz Chazar has Craig Herring by his high roll collar and says, don't you ever fucking touch him again. And he never did. <laughs> were you? I, it's hard to imagine, but were you a little kid? Why were you getting picked? Oh on? yeah. Oh shit. I was the smallest. I was the second or third, if not the first smallest in my class, all my my young life. Yeah. That's why I started working out and doing. I was say, did that have to do with your going into wrestling and doing all of that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, wrestling was an accident. Wrestling was because after my freshman year in football. Uh, my, my grades weren't as good as my father wanted them to be. So I said, I'm going to, you know, I'm going out for basketball because I play basketball in junior high and stuff. And he goes, no, you're not. You're not going out for basketball. You're going to get your grades up. And I go, no, no. He goes, no, you're not going out for basketball. So I didn't go out. Two weeks into the, you know, the winter season, mm -hmm. which is wrestling and basketball back there. It's not here in California. Um, the head coach, this crazy guy with the nails and stuff, calls my father and says listen i think your son would be a hell of a wrestler if i get him or if i get his teachers to sign a letter a note every two weeks saying that he has a b average in class would you let him come out for wrestling and my father says yes so i went out for wrestling and then i never got the b average but i was like i was like a, a district champion wrestler so it didn't matter to my father anymore. And with wrestling, did you, was it something you wanted to do or you just kind of got talked into it? No, I, I just did it because I, you know, because it was a sport and I wanted to still be an athlete. And I thought about college, you know, and I thought about wrestling scholarships as well as football scholarships and all that stuff. So, and, and I was small. And so I was going to be wrestling people my weight, except for the fact that, except for my freshman year when I wrestled 106 every year after that, between Thanksgiving day and football and December 15th, whatever the first wrestling match was, I lost 20 or more pounds. Wow. I rest, I played football my senior year at 162 and I wrestled 136. Oh my yeah. yeah. What what stopped your football career? After college, you mean? You played all through college. Oh, no, no. I played. Yeah, I, I went back to football. I, I, I took off my uh, sophomore year. I went back to football my junior year of high school and my senior year. And I made one of the all county teams. And um, this is a funny story, too. 
I went up to Lycoming College where I ended up getting my bachelor's. And uh, my father went up with me and um, it, it was such a small school at the time that the head football coach was also the head wrestling coach. So, so he looked at my football films and, and he saw that I was, you know, second in my district in, 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 you know, in, in New Jersey, two years in a row in wrestling. And he said, well, I think, I think you can go to like Homie college. I said, here's the thing, coach. My father has his own business. We can't really afford it, but because he has his own business, the financials don't add up and I don't think he can afford it. And he says, well, we'll wait right there. Right. So, and I tell my sons this story all the time because of the way they entered college. And uh, so he goes away to the administration building. He comes back 20 minutes later with now at the time, Lycoming is probably 40 some thousand dollars right now. At the time it was 2,200. Right. Right. He comes back with a grant for $1,800 and a low interest loan for the rest. And so we're driving home on Route 80. My father says, well, what do you think? I said, well, I want to see Lehigh. I want to see Wilkes. So he goes, oh, no, you're going there. <laughs> you got the money. You're going there. And that's how I ended up there, you know, and, and I, I played varsity all four years there. And um, I, I ended up going to as a free agent to the World Football League uh, at the time in 1975. I made it to the last cut. Wow. And then I got cut and kind of cracked up. I didn't know what to do with myself after that, because that's really what I went on to school for was to play football, you know? And so then a year later I enrolled or two years later, I don't know, I enrolled for my MBA and I ended up coaching football at Fairleigh Dickinson university where I got my MBA and coaching against my old team. like <laughs> So, you know, that's justice. I'm not sure your audience is interested in this, but that's that's. You no, know, but it, it well, but it is interesting because you you had a a completely different path, and from what I recall, you weren't doing plays in high school. You weren't singing. No, no, I, I never. No, I, I I never did. I did one scene for somebody in college because they wanted an Italian waiter. She was an actress. She wanted to direct them. I said, yeah, I could do that, <laughs> you know, um, and that was it. I never, ever thought of being an actor ever. And after I got my MBA, I was working for Ford Motor Company and uh, I paid for- talk about that for a second, Peter. Okay. So you decided to go the business route and what exactly were you doing? Weren't you in advertising? Were you in advertising? Well, I ended up in advertising at McCall's magazines in, in advertising support, like uh, in publishing, you know? Right. But yeah. No, I, I, after I got cut I, and, and I bounced around, I was in retailing. I sold menswear. I ran a menswear store in, in Bristol and in, in not Bristol in Hartford, Connecticut, uh, in, in, in Rockaway, New Jersey, in the malls and, and so on. And, and then I started to go for my MBA and then I paid for the first third of my MBA and then Ford Motor Company in the export division hired me. And they paid for the last two thirds of my MBA. And in 19, got it. The automobile business was in a shitter. So they laid me off. I said, dude, you just paid for the last two thirds of my MBA. You're laying me off. So I had done my master's thesis. My girlfriend at the time was working for McCall's magazines, a, a magazine called Working Mother. Uh -huh. And so I had done my master's thesis on that magazine. So I took my thesis project, which was a 200 page 
a marketing plan and a 200 page research document. And I presented it to them and they hired me and created a job for me at McCall's. Wow. So then I started going into the city. And at that time, uh, on a dare from this old girlfriend, uh, I took a one night, there used to be a, a, an entity called the Network for Learning in New York. And they had one night stand classes all over the city in different spaces from everything from how to take care of your feet to doing stand-up comedy, you know? And so I took this one class on a dare from her. Mm-hmm. Well, it happened to be an improvisation class. And at the end of the night, the people said to me, oh, you, you should do this. You should come in with us. And I said, no, man, I'm not, a, I'm not an actor. Get the hell out. I'm not a comedian, right? So I said, the hell with it. And then I uh, started working in the city and I started working out with them. And we started performing in all the little shitholes in New York that nobody knew, you know? And, um, and, and then I met Jeanette, my wife. She was part of another improv group and came in to direct hours. And uh, then my other girlfriend who got me into this and was working at McCall's dumped me, you know? So um, Jeanette said, I think you could be an actor. And she was working four jobs at the time. She was getting up at four in the morning, going to Patisserie Lanciani and, and doing that. Then she would go to do key punch at a, at a, at a, a a garment district company. Then she would go do key punch at Citibank. And then she would go and work at the only country Western bar in the city that had a automatic bull. It was called Cody's. It was on sixth or seventh Avenue. And I said, Oh, Oh, you want me to be an actor so I can starve and have four jobs like you? you know? <laughs> so once I took the ice pack off my eye, <laughs> I decided to try it. I, I walked into my boss, you know, I had a fight with my boss. I had some of my research published in advertising. You were successful, though, in advertising, right? You were making a good living. You were doing well, right? Yes, I had some of my research published in advertising age. That's what, that's what led to this move. And my boss didn't want to pay me. Procter & Gamble was calling me. Everybody was calling me, wanted to steal me away. Wow. So my boss, who I was good friends with, we had a share in the house in the Hamptons, all that yuppie crap. Uh, <laughs> She just started to make my life miserable. And so Jeanette said, I think you could be an actor. So I walked into my boss's office. I said, you know, I've never collected unemployment. You make it so I can collect unemployment, I'll leave. She goes, deal. I left the next Monday. I left them with a 200 page research document that all they needed to do was updated. And I enrolled in a crash course in commercials from a recovering alcoholic by the name of Bob Collier, who was like a second banana, like an Ed McMahon type I guy. Bob Collier. Yeah, mm-hmm. great guy. And by, by the end of the second week of that class, I was on hold for a national commercial. So I thought, well, maybe this is a good move. So I took $10,000 out of my savings and I put it in a separate account. I said, okay, if this runs out and I'm not an actor, then I'm not an actor. Wow. And, uh, and it never ran out. <laughs> oh, you started working right away. Yes, I did. I, I, I started making money the next year in commercials. I made twice what I made as a Park Avenue uh, business executive. Um, and so, and, but, but here's the thing. At that time, the stereotypes that they were casting for commercials in my, in my uh, uh, realm. Right. The stereotypes they were looking for were Tony Danza. Bruce Springsteen, Bruce Willis, and Billy Joel. 
What could be better for you? Piece of each. What could be better for you? <laughs> right? <laughs> and, wow, you were in your you were in your groove. Yeah. And then so in 1988, I got my first job on Kate and Allie. Jeanette and I got married. We moved out here. And then, you know, um, I went back to finish Kate and Allie. And here's a great story, if, if you got time for it. I was, I was, I finished the last episode of Kate and Allie, the last season. And I had to fly out the next day from JFK, 2.30 flight from JSK, JFK to come back here in L.A., Right. My first son, Sebastiano, was due to be born. Okay. okay. Uh -huh. I get a call back for Scorsese for Goodfellas in Rockefeller Center at 1230. Okay. So now <laughs> I'm like, oh, I got to do this. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. So now at that time, I don't know if I told you this story already, but at that time, is this, is that too much? Oh, that's so much better. Okay. So. Yeah. At that time, um, Scorsese was giving everybody who auditioned for uh, the small roles like I got the same sides, the same scene. And if he liked what you did, he would find a part for you, right? Okay. So also at that time, he started hiring for roles like I got real mob guys or cops that chase real mob guys, right? So I walk in and there's all these guys in silver sweatsuits and patent leather sneakers with cigars. The guy looks at me, he goes, what are you reading for? And I go, well, I got the signs for Sonny Bamboo. <laughs> he goes, you know him? I go, no, I don't know him. He goes, I know him, you don't look nothing like him. And I said, well, that's what they gave me. He goes, all right, kid, God bless you. Right. So, so I'm not now I'm not intimidated enough. I walk in to the meeting with Scorsese and oh my God. And now if this was still only a couple of years after I left the business world. So my habit was to make the meeting mine, no matter what, you know? Right. So I make up a story. Now my grandfather's last name is Scorsese. It's the exact same spelling without the S, right? So right. Scorsese shakes my hand and I look at him. I go, I, you know, before we start, I said, I need to ask you a question. I said, because I, I, I said to my grandfather, Donato Scorsese, I said, um, I'm going to read for the great director, Martin Scorsese today. And I said, my grandfather said, wow, I think so. We have a cousin at one time, which you take the S out of the name. Scorsese goes, really? Really? Because we can't find our relatives. And I'm thinking, oh shit, I'm screwed. I am so screwed. I go, okay, oh, well, well, where are you from? He goes, Sicily. I go, no fucking way. We're not Sicilians. He goes, where are you? I says, ah, we're, we're Napolitans. He goes, ah, you guys drink too early in the morning. You want to do this? I go, yeah, let's do it. So I, I, I read the scene and I got a part. <laughs> Wow. Did you ever did you ever fess up tomorrow? No, no, no. Wow. So, Peter, did you know? I mean, I assume your family weren't connected. Did you know mob? You know, mobsters don't seem to exist anymore, do they? I don't know. I don't hear anything about that anymore. You know, 
I believe that The Sopranos was based on a family in Livingston by the name of Boyardo. Now, the Boyardos were members of the Knoll Country Club in Parsippany, New Jersey, right next to Boonton. And a lot of us caddied for them. And I believe, I don't know if David Chase will admit it, but I believe that the Sopranos were inspired by the Boyardos. They lived in Livingston, New Jersey. Um, My father, I, I spent years, especially when I worked in New York City, explaining to people that you could be Italian, your father could be in construction, and you could not be in a mob. You know? <laughs> Wait a minute. Your father was in construction? Yeah, my father had a small construction company. And he was not a mobster? No. He and my uncle took it over. My grandfather died in 1961. He was approached at times, and he would say to people, he would say, come on, I'm a little two-man operation. You really want to, you know. And then he did a very smart thing. And I don't think he did it to be smart. He did it because he was a good man. In the next town over, there was a guy uh, who was connected. He was a contractor as well. He owned a lot of apartments and stuff. My father hired his son to drive a truck for him, to drive a big tandem truck for years. And this guy loved my father like, like his own father. This guy's father... Uh, would invite my father and my uncle into New York City to a restaurant called Benito's Two in yeah. Mo- on Mulberry Street. Yeah, yeah. And they would he would give a Christmas dinner to all his subcontractors, which he treated my father as because my father gave his son this job, and my, and, and and his son loved my father. He was at my father's funeral and was just broken up. You know, it was really great, and. Uh, so that's the closest that it all came to our family, you know, but, you know, we knew people who could be, we knew, you know, that stuff. Peter, before we go get into career stuff, you, last time you told me a story about your grandfather that is one of my favorite stories of all time <laughs> and about your grandfather and love is all I'll say. Can you tell <laughs> the story? It's my favorite story. <laughs> you know, I just did an interview in for for somebody in Boston and I don't know how this guy knew it but he said tell me about the Victrola and your grandfather you know I said how the hell did you where where did you find that story so you were here you saw I think I showed you the Victrola in my front my grandfather had a Victrola in his cellar uh for years when I was a little kid and all that stuff and and you know of course the Italians they don't eat in the regular dining room they eat in a cellar you know all the big feasts they cover over well cover over the furniture and everything you don't use you don't use you know oh right you have to put the plastic on oh yeah 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 and and plus the fact that when this particular grandfather didn't have a big enough kitchen so we used to have a big table in a cellar and i was always looking at this victrola and when i got older and appreciated antiques i said to him one time i said uh you know you don't want that Victrola, do you? He goes, no, that's a piece of shit. You want it, you'll take, right? <laughs> so I took the Victrola and I started to restore it. I, I mean, I stripped it. I took the works out. I did, a, And so I took the back panel off in order to strip it cleaner. And this plastic bag with four letters falls out. 
uh, one is to my grandmother in New Jersey, and the other four come from this woman in Italy with a picture and a dried flower in the letters. Now, you were here in my dining room. You know I have all my family pictures up on the wall. I know everybody in my family, and I never saw this woman before. So I said to my mother, um, I found this, these letters and this dried flower and this picture in the back of the Victrola screwed into the back. And she said, well, what was the postmark? And I said, I think it was 1948. Uh, she goes, oh, that's when your grandfather got kicked out of the house. He had an affair. And I said, well, leak the story to him and see what he says, right? So at the time I was living in, in Boonton, uh, uh, another part of town from my parents. And we had like an Easter dinner or Thanksgiving or something where we always, it was a big dinner. We always had an intermezzo, right? So my grandfather comes up to me before dinner. He says, hey, Pete, maybe if we'll get a break at the dinner, I come down your house, I look at them letters. I said, yeah, we can look at the letters. And of course he knew we we're gonna have a break in the dinner. So he comes down and I show him the letters, right? And he goes, no, nah, this is not mine. I said, it says Donato Scorisi all over the book. <laughs> he goes, oh yeah, they're mine. <laughs> and I says, S you know, so my mother told me that, you know, about this affair. Right. So at that time he had, he was a, he was a cobbler. He had a shoe repair shop in Denville, New Jersey. The next town over was Dover. And he was planning to go to Italy on a vacation. So he tells me the story. He says, well, I was planning to go to Italy on vacation. <laughs> and this woman come from Dover. And I say I was going to go to Italy on vacation. And she say she have a door which leave in Bologna. And if I pass by over there, I should look up at the door. Right? He says, well, I was passed by over there. Now he was going from Rome to Naples to go to where this woman was in Bologna was like going to Vegas to get to Seattle. Okay. <laughs> he says, but uh, I was passed by over there. <laughs> <laughs> he says, and I, I was look up at this girl <laughs> and I was thinking I was no Maddie. <laughs> That's Right. He goes, but I was. I go, no shit you were, <laughs> you know. And he says, well, uh, I said, what happened? He says, well, your grandmother, she find the letters and she throw me out of the house a while. I go to Florida. I live with my friend Vern a couple of months. And then I come back, right? Now, my mother says she remembers my grandmother, who was like five foot nothing. Yeah. On the phone with the woman in Dover, New Jersey, with the holding the flower up to the phone going in Italian, you see this dried flower? That's the way your daughter gonna dry up before she get a my husband, click. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the story of the Victrola. <laughs> oh my God. And so somehow he managed to hold on to those letters and hide them, which is amazing. They were screwed into the back of that patrol. Nobody would have found them. I don't think he even remembered they were there. Wow. I love that story. All right. So, so okay. So you, you start getting acting work. You come out to LA. You're doing commercials. How do you get your first break? 
Um, my first break was in New York with Kate and Allie. That was really my first break. Okay. So yeah, I got my first break in New York. Yeah. And, uh, um, and that was a long process too, because Jeanette and I got married in June and I had done one callback for Kate and Allie. And then I, I was, I was waiting to see if I got the job or not before we went on our honeymoon. And finally we said, the hell with this. We're going on our honeymoon. We went on our honeymoon the last week of September. And I got the job when I got back, they gave me the job. We started working in December because it was the last season. So it was a late season entry. Um, but that was my first break. And it was a wonderful man who um, is well known in the business. His name was Saul Turtletop. Saul Turtletop and Bernie Arnstein were a writing uh, a, a, a team. They did uh, um, good times, temporary layoffs, good times. Okay. They did uh, all those shows. And they would always come in at the end of a show and mm -hmm. save it for a couple of years. And this is a beautiful story. So they hired me um, and I had like three episodes. So I did like two or three episodes and it was Christmas time in New York and Jeanette and I were like, well, you know, we had, we had, I bought a co-op in New York and, and uh, we were in William Sonoma mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and Saul Turtletob comes up to Jeanette and goes, this is Honorati. Miss Honorati, get whatever you want. We're picking up your husband's contracts. So they picked me up for another four episodes. Nice. He was a sweet man and he was a, a really a great guy. And I used to stop. He lives on Coldwater Canyon. He lived, he, he died a couple of years ago. Um, he lived on Coldwater Canyon. And every once in a while, I would stop at his house and just knock on the door and say, Hey, Saul, how you doing? His son is a, a very well known, uh, John Turtletop is a very well known director now. Um, but Saul was, you know, and everybody that I know that knew Saul Turtletop has a story like that because that's the kind of guy he was, you know. That's really sweet. Okay, yeah. so you you do Kate and Allie, you come out to LA. What's the first big gig in LA? Uh, the first big gig in LA was um, big gig. I got I got a commercial and I got a, 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 a I got a, um, a what was the uh, Oh my gosh, Quantum Leap. But the first big gig was I got the movie Firebirds with Nicolas Cage and Sean Young and Tommy Lee Jones. And Jeanette's old friend from Santa Barbara, who's a well-known Broadway talent, his name is Howard McGillan. Mm -hmm. Howard was the longest running Phantom on Broadway. Wow. Um, he's just got this incredible voice. Mm -hmm. So while I was doing... Uh, uh, Firebirds in Arizona and Texas um, Howard came out and stayed in our little guest house he was auditioning for something called Cop Rock okay so so I, I'm like what the hell is that and I'm still in Arizona doing this thing with Nick Cage and, and, and Tommy Lee Jones which there's some great stories about that too but um, so I get done and I come back and uh, my manager, who she's my manager now, she was my agent then. She was my first agent in New York City, and we're still wow. together. Her name is wow. Kay Lieberman, and and her partner Lenore Zerman. I've been with them for the thirty some years. I've been in the business, um, in one capacity or other. So Kay calls me. She goes, 
you sing, right? I said, well, I sang in a couple friends' weddings, but I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a trained singer. She goes, no, you sing. And I said, well, I, I, you know, she goes, you sing. And I go, <laughs> okay, I sing, you know? And she sent me in for cop rock. And uh, so that, even though it was a, one of the biggest flops ever, and it was one of the greatest shows flop, ever, ahead of its time, spectacular. Way ahead of its time. Way way ahead ahead of its time. time. And, and uh, that, so, so that, but I consider that my first big break because Stephen then hired me for uh, Civil Wars with Mariel Hemingway right after that. So, so, so you were you were hot stuff. I mean, you were not really. I was coming. I was, uh, you know, I, I, you know what? The best one of the best pieces of, of of PR I got was when I started Civil Wars. I think it was that somebody compared me to Jimmy Smith because I was a Bochco boy, and so was he. And 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 Jimmy was Jimmy had come on set a couple of times. I go, dude, I'm you, <laughs> you know. And, you know, and Jimmy and I are still friends, you know, and his wife, uh, Wanda. Um, but that was a big deal, you know. And then, you know, after Civil Wars went down, I had a bunch of pilots. I had a bunch of movies of the weeks and stuff like that. Uh, and, uh, uh, oh, someday we'll do this in private, but a terrible story about me and ER and losing that job and blah, blah, blah. Wait a so, minute, wait a minute. What do you mean we're going to do this in private? Why can't you tell us the story? It's because it's not, because because I, I, uh, we'll do it in private first. And then if you think it's it's noteworthy, we'll we'll, we'll do it on camera. I, but, I know I think it's noteworthy. If it's anything <laughs> that sticks out for you, can you do it by, with censoring names or something so you don't? I, I don't think so, because... Oh. It's yeah, like they have a lot to do with something, right? In any case, it was it just it just it was a big thing that blew up. It, it just blew up through no um, through no fault of my own. But what it did do was uh, at that time, somebody who was very powerful at Warner Brothers and who became very powerful in this business and who just uh, left the business a couple of years ago because of something uh, because of that deal with ER that that blew up, he. Uh, kind of blacklisted me uh, from doing things on CBS for a long time. Wow. So just, you know, and I tell actors that I coach mm -hmm. and, and train and stuff, I tell them this story only because this is the kind of story that if you stay in the business after this happens to you, then you're meant to be in the business. You know, it's one of those things, you know. Can um, you tell us what you, what, what you got accused of doing? I didn't get accused of doing anything. I didn't do something somebody wanted me to do. After I had told them, uh, uh, this person wanted me to go to Portland and do this series. And I said, no. Uh, I said, my kids are four and two and I'm not leaving LA. I don't want, I want to be away from my kids. Right. Uh, and, um, and so they said, well, just do the pilot. And so I did the pilot. And then... Uh, with the understanding that I was coming back here and the pilot was done with the understanding that it was a favor to them and they would present me to, as their top choice for one of the roles in ER. And so that's where the names start to come in that I don't want to talk about. Right. But in, in essence, I ended up losing a job at ER and this person kept telling people who wanted me for other series oh. that I was going to do the series that he wanted me to do in Portland which I told them I would never do because my kids were four and two and I didn't want to leave my kids. Right. And so, because I didn't do what he wanted me to do, 
I, uh, he said to everybody, he can't do a lead in a series for us ever. And I guess started my ass off for CBS over those years, but never did a lead. Wow. You know, so, I wonder if this storyline of yours is going to be mirrored in, in This Is Us because Kevin's got quite a little storyline going right now. Yeah, yeah. He left, he left De Niro, right? He left De Niro on the set. <laughs> Who leaves De Niro on the set? I got to tell you that this story, when, when, when I filmed Goodfellas, I got into the uh, I, I got into the car. It was Williamsburg, Brooklyn. It was three o'clock in the morning, you know. And he comes in. He he offers his hand. He goes, "How you doing, I'm Bobby De Niro?" I go, "Yeah, I know." He goes like this. <laughs> so uh, so I started telling everybody that story. They go, "Oh, that's a great De Niro face." And my son, who was one year old by the time we filmed this, I used to go, "Sonny, do De Niro," and he go. <laughs> so and there was some embarrassing so I, I i hope that i get on another i was on a tonight show once but i hope that i get another um one of those night shows so i could tell this story but so we're in, we're there and and they do the master shot of de niro and leota beating me up and uh and so you know you have to sell the punch you know when it hits you you have to you know right back, you know. right so you have to use a sound, whatever it is. So at the time I was studying martial arts and I didn't want a key eye, you know, cause you know, as a sound. So, <laughs> so I went back to fucking third grade and every time De Niro hit me, I went Gish, Gish, like, like the old Batman thing, like zap, pow, bop, you know? And they go cut and the sound man comes over and he goes uh you don't have to do that we can put the sound in later i went oh shit oh shit <laughs> i was so embarrassed you know oh my god <laughs> so oh. then so they get the master shot done and they come around here and they're filming leota's close up and they pick it up to the middle of the scene because you know that's what you do right. <laughs> so then they come around and they're getting ready to film de niro's side and he looks at me and he goes if you don't mind, I don't like to pick it up in the middle of the scene. I like to start from the top. I go, oh, little method, huh, Bobby? He goes, <laughs> like this, right? <laughs> so, so now, the only other thing that happened was, and this is also embarrassing, but it's not my fault. So Scorsese comes in, he goes, okay, Bobby's going to slam you into the front seat twice. You come up, you say your first line. Then they're going to punch you. You say the other line. They're going to punch you, right? Two times in the front seat, and you say your line, right? Action. Boom. 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 Cut. Scorsese comes in. I, I you know, I said, I don't, I, don't, I don't have to say the line. We can lose the line. He goes, no, 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 I want the line. I didn't want to say, fucking De Niro can't count. You said two. He hit me three times, you know? <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> have you weird. have you seen De Niro since Goodfellas? Have you ever seen? No, him since? we never crossed paths. Um, no, and I, I was I did a, a a big deal stage reading here of the Iceman cometh with Pacino. We worked together, but I haven't seen De Niro. Nope, since. And what was your experience? I got to see Al on a couple of panels. What a character! What was your experience like working with Al? 
it was great. Um, this was the, the, the this was the Iceman cometh, mm -hmm. and it was supposed to go to New York. It was me and Bruno Kirby played the two bartenders. Wow. Uh, um 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 um. Uh, uh, oh jeez, uh, Jeter. Michael Jeter was in it. Oh wow! I saw a wonderful movie. actor. Yeah, little short guy. I remember Michael. Jeter. Oh, Michael Jeter was in was in Green Mile. It was just a wonderful actor. He's I saw him on Broadway in something, and I think he won a Tony, but I can't remember what. It yes, was. he did. Yeah, he, right? he he's yeah he's passed away since then. Um, mm -hmm. Raphael Sbarge was in it. Um, it was just this great cast, and uh, and I guess at the same time Kevin Spacey was doing it in London, so his production usurped hours and came to Broadway, but we, this was supposed to go to Broadway, but we were doing it out here as a workshop stage reading, big, you know, big audiences. Right. So we were the last two guys to go on stage. I was the last one to go on before him. Uh-huh. And so he would come out in the hallway and he goes, oh man, what are they doing? What are they doing? I go, I don't know, Al. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I said, don't talk to me, talk to them, you know? And I, you know, I gave him a Cuban cigar. He goes, "Thanks, babe. Thanks." You know, it was like, and that was, you know, the the closest we got. You know, um, but you know, he it was. I mean, he was great. He was a regular guy. It was great working with him. So was De Niro. You know, and 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 really, so was Ray Liotta, who comes from New Jersey. It's funny because at the time we did Goodfellas, there was a movie out, and if anybody's watching this, they should find this movie. There was a movie that Ray Liotta did with Tom Hulse called Dominic and Eugene. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And it preceded Rain Man. And it was sort of the same mm -hmm. story about a brother taking care of a, a damaged brother and stuff. And it was such a far superior movie to Rain Man. And, and I and, 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 you know, I'm still new to the business and I'm sitting there with Ray, you know, uh, in our chairs. And I go, oh, man, I go. What's, what's with Rain Man? I said, Dominic and Eugene was such a farce. You know, he goes, are you kidding me? Tom Cruise, Dustin <laughs> Hoffman, you know? I went, oh yeah, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, so, but you know, and I, I still, you know, I didn't realize, but but it was, it's a great movie. And, and Ray, it's, I think it's one of Ray's best movies, really. Fantastic, yes, absolutely. He's he's amazing anyway. He's always yeah. amazing. Yeah. So, so, Peter, I know you also write, and right. I know you 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 are doing other things. Um, has were you able to be creative? I assume you didn't work for a while when when Hollywood was shut down. What were you doing? I see. I, I think I think I know the answer to this. What were you doing when Hollywood was shut down? Because you're always doing something. Well, I, I did work even during the shutdown a, a little okay. bit more than most people. You know, like I was doing. You know. Um, uh, a mom and you know and this is us and all that stuff but um wait how did you do that stuff when everything was when it was all shut down well there was only shut down from march to september i think was when some people started to come back swat came back in their regular season almost like august september swat started filming wow. so some things were filming out there i didn't film swat but they were back um but what i did was i cleaned up a lot of my writing projects i um two years ago i presented my play to uh, i wrote a play 
took me 30 years to write it, but if I put the time together, mm -hmm. probably it was two years, <laughs> you know, uh, and um, Jeanette and I are members of the actor studio, but in the acting unit. Um, so I presented this to the actor studio playwright directors unit and they liked it enough that they admitted me to the playwright directors unit and they have been workshopping the play, which I told you about when I was actually at your yeah. house doing that, you know, and so that's where that is right now. And I've done a final rewrite and I, I might, I, I should uh, start submitting that to uh, festivals pretty soon. Um, I finished a, a kid's book that uh, I had started and I have a publisher for that. And I had an illustrator, but he has too much other work right now. So I'm looking for an illustrator. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, you know, I, I wrote and I write, you know, and I, I have, I, you know, my wife's a writer, so it's hard, you know, uh, we did a, we wrote a, um, we wrote a sitcom uh, together about my family in a construction company. And, you know, yeah. it's actually pretty cute and pretty funny. Uh, it needs a rewrite and well, maybe I'll pitch it, you know, I don't know, I'm gonna, you know, but uh, I'll tell you what I want to do. That's, I was just going to say, if you had your druthers, what's the thing? Well, you know how they're doing a lot of remakes of everything? Mm-hmm. I want to do Colombo. Oh God, Peter, I can so see that. Okay, so wait, do you do it? You don't do it as, a, as an impersonation. You no. do your own. Well, so how do you you'd have to, because uh, the expectations would be too much. But if we could do it generational, if I was like his his son or his nephew or whatever, oh, you wow. could you pay tribute to him and his character in a way, you know. Uh but it seems to me, and I was just talking to somebody else the other night, and I said, you know, the way the business is going now, too, we might be back to, and I'm glad I'm going to go on record and saying this, because usually my marketing kicks in, and, and nobody knows that I've said this before, so I'm saying it now. The way things are going in programming now, with networks, and people doing shorter orders of things, eight episodes, and so on and so forth, and people... Uh, like SWAT and This Is Us taking off for three weeks and so on and so forth. There is now, I think, created in the marketing aspect of the business, a void for these Columbo, Kojak things, movies of the weeks again. Movies of the weeks that go in when these network shows go on hiatus. Right. So I do four Columbos. And they go on CBS or NBC, wherever they go, whenever these shows have to or want to take their hiatuses. Brilliant. What do they do? I mean, like This Is Us takes big chunks off. What yeah, but they, they repeat. Do? They just repeat, you know, and, and, and that's fine because mm -hmm. everybody, you know, wants to catch up on the show with something like This Is Us. But some of these other shows, you know, they don't have the same following or the same cachet as This Is Us. Right. And, and those networks could use. I, I, I think you might see, I think you might see that that vehicle, that movie of the week vehicle within the next couple of years, because I it, it, it it's so easy to place it, you know, in uh, programming right now. It would be so easy. Now, have you heard this or are you going to pitch this? As Because it's a great idea to pitch. No, it's, I'm, no, it's my idea. I want to pitch it. You know, and I, I don't know that I have enough juice to say, walk in the network, say, hey, I want to do Colombo, you know. Um, 
I might. I don't think so, but I might, you know. Did the door reopen at CBS? Yes, because you're doing mom. Is it mom CBS? Well, no, mom, mom is CBS, but no, this is the interesting part. Um, SWAT is yeah. CBS. Oh, what was SWAT the first season when I became a regular was uh -huh. my first regular role on CBS since that person had put it out that I couldn't do a regular role. Wow. It's like 26 years later. Wow. And Shamar Moore actually took me over to say hello to this person. He said, you know, y'all want you to meet? I said, no, I know him, you know? And so he brings me over anyway. And he says, uh, Peter, you know, so-and-so. And I said, yeah. And I said, thank you for the opportunity. Wow. And so the t it had just run its course, you think? I, I think it might've gotten by him because <laughs> he's such a vindictive son of a bitch, you know? <laughs> I think it might've gotten by him, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Wow. That's crazy. So, so Peter, before we go, have you and Jeanette, I know you've written a little bit together. You performed years ago. Tell, tell the story of how you met Jeanette. So she was, she came into our improv group to direct the group. Mm -hmm. And then she and her current writing partner, who she's known and been with longer than she's been with me, oh, wow. um, they became writers together here in LA. Mm -hmm. But, um, but, but uh, Jeanette and I started writing a couple things for the improv group when I was still in the business world and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then, like I said, she, you know, once my old girlfriend dumped me, she, she, um, <laughs> and it's true. You know, I, I've had three major relationships in my life and the last one is my wife. The other two dumped me, you know, so that's okay. <laughs> it's worked out fine. Uh, but, um, you know, so, but, but Jeanette is very, she's kind of adverse to writing with me. We don't work together a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, I think she feels her partner is her partner. You know, and that's kind of like pulling teeth, you know, to, to get her to work with me. And it's funny because over the years, I've had ideas that I pitched to certain producers. And they said, why don't you get your wife to do this? I'm going, no, she don't like me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, but when you when you do do when you do do when you do yeah. write something, will she then critique it for you? Go over it with you? Yeah, if I ask her, she'll 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 give me notes and stuff like that, you know, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, and it's important because Jeanette knows, knows form, you know, and I don't. And, uh, um, you know, and, 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 but I feel like she was an actress when I met her, you know, she became a writer. I don't know if she became a writer because she didn't want to be an actress or felt she couldn't be an actress, but she's an amazing writer. And so is her partner. And, but yet as an actor, and I found this with it. I've written scripts with a couple other actors. We had a big pitch at Fox for a huge, uh, uh, I had the executive producer of 24 on board with it and everything. We pitched at Fox and it didn't go. But the, the only reason I bring this up is because the other guy that wrote it with me is also an actor. Mm -hmm. He's a different kind of actor from me. And we would write something. And I, would, I would go, wait, you can act that. We don't have to say that. Oh, you see, mm -hmm. and that's important. And I think if I was to write with Jeanette, that would be now because of the evolution of my career and the evolution of her career as a writer to be productive. I feel like my depth of character is a little more valuable in terms of writing dialogue and things like that. 
Absolutely. Than her input because she's been, you know, formulaic all these years and divorced from her acting chops, you know? Although she's still she's still a great improviser. We take an imp improv workshop with uh, a guy named Billy Steinkellner who ran Cheers for years. Mm -hmm. uh, and he, he knew Jeanette before she moved to New York. They had an improv group here. Um, Lorraine Newman has come into it. I've worked with Lorraine Newman, who I love. I saw Lorraine uh, last week online, though. Yeah. I and, love Lorraine. And you're friends with, with, with Tracy Newman. You're friends with Lynn, Lynn Stewart. You're friends with yeah. all of us. And yeah. Mindy. Mindy Sterling was in that workshop as well. You know, yeah, they're all, you know. And actually, Mindy was the one who asked me to first perform at the Groundlings. And I hadn't done improv on stage in years. So it scared the shit out of me, really. <laughs> But I did it. I did it three times, you know. Fantastic. So, Peter, you are fantastic. And I adore you. And I know that I've held you past your <laughs> six o'clock dinner time so that you could. So what kind of diet, quickly, what kind of diet are you doing? To no, I, you know, it's not so much a diet as it is, you know, I, I found out a few years back, I, I had to do a play that George Firth wrote um, while he was still alive. And that's always helpful. Yes. My first scene was completely naked. And so I wanted to lose 10 pounds right away. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I, I ate a little more frequently, but less. And I stopped eating at six o'clock. And so I lost the weight, but I found out something else. I slept better. Ah. So whenever I want to try and get myself into some semblance of shape, I apply those rules. I don't eat bad. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not a vegetarian, but I don't eat, I haven't eaten beef in 30 years. I haven't eaten pork in 20 years, wow. uh, chicken and fish and greens and whatever, you know, uh, I'd like to try vegan. Uh, my cousin came here one time and cooked vegan for me. It was fantastic. After two days of getting used to it, it, it was fantastic. You know, it is. it's just a lot of prep. It's a lot of chopping and cutting and it's a yeah. lot of prep. And I wouldn't do that to Jeanette. You know, I wouldn't do that to her because, because I don't cook, you know, I mean, I create, I don't cook. <laughs> so Peter, if, if, if you stop at six o'clock, do you go to sleep earlier? Cause you get hung. What do you do in those hours when you get hungry? Watch TV and uh, uh, tea, like herbal tea, stuff like mm -hmm. that to keep me. Uh, I have some sugarless candies. You know, if I really get bad, you know, but uh, that's it. You know, uh, I don't, you know, I, I, it's not, nothing scientific about it or, or accepted about it, but it's just what works for me, you know. It sounds good. It sounds good. It sounds wonderful. Well, I'm sorry that I held you back from eating on time. That's you're, right. You're going to be late today, but I've so enjoyed this as always. Peter. You're such a wonderful storyteller and you're such a lovely human being i mean you Thank were you. so welcoming i'm Thank sorry you. that i'm not at your house again because it was so me too well, we'll do the next one will be here i look forward to that please send my love to jeanette and enjoy your dinner and I'll, I'll, do you have more this is us coming up are there more uh, they just they just stuck a pin in me for another episode in in march so uh we'll see we'll see what that is excellent excellent thank right. you so much i love you sweetie thank you I for having you me too. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. See you all tomorrow night. Bye-bye.